0: Shalom and welcome to another in-hour series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Halakha 101 class taught by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz.
1: So if you remember last week, we were talking about, um, hold on one second. We were talking about no ten tal leaf gums. So something that gives off like a gross taste or something that would be considered to be gross based off of, um, how it is by accident added into a dish. Um, and I, we, we then happened upon the last say, the last section that we happened upon. Um, was all in Hebrew and I ended up translating it in the moment, um, which I don't love to do because I want to make sure that you can actually see the words that I'm, that we're reading, that we're learning. Uh, so I asked my teacher, Rabbi Aaron Alexander this morning, where could I find a good English translation of Yoradea, which is the section of the Shulchan Aruch that we're in. And he said, nowhere. And I said, okay, great. Um, so, We are going to—I found some moderately good translations for today, and then I'm going to reevaluate after today's class whether or not I want to kind of jump out of this section of kashrut and jump into the orachim section, um, because that will be more translated into English. Not to say that I couldn't put in my own work to do the translation— uh, but I just I know that if every week it's going to be many say theme of me translating, I'm afraid that that I'm not going to end up being able to to keep up with what we're doing. So I want to make sure that we're learning in the best way possible, which I think for this crowd is to be using the English translation and not just the original. Uh, so so I just want to give you that little that little statement um, to to start off that we might that we might not switch topics, but just might switch books um, next class. But for right now, we are still in Yorodea, and we are in Siman 122. And let me just pop it up here. And what I'm going to show you is not from Safaria, because again, on Safaria, it's just going to be in Hebrew. So I'm going to show you the uh, just a Google Doc that I made that has both the Hebrew slash Aramaic and the English. And we'll we'll look at some of these Seifim together today. Um We are very much so in the weeds (laughs) at this point Um, in terms of this topic. We're getting into the very nitty gritty aspects of um, of Kashering in in terms of this idea of no ten tam leaf gum. Still under this the assumption of something being made or Uh, or assumed to be used by someone who is known to be an idol worshiper, so someone who is using the vessel for a different kind of use than we would use it. So here's the the fourth Saif, and we will put this in the podcast. All people can see the text I'm looking at, but we're at Siman 122, Saif dalit or 4. So we actually looked at this one a little bit last week, but I want to go over it because it's um, it's it's not particularly self-explanatory, and I want to make sure that we have this down before we go to the next one. So, a pot that has absorbed both meat and milk, right? So something that has contained within it meat and milk, whether that means together or that means something a, a meat pot and by accident had milk go into it. If before a night has passed, so if 24 hours. Um, has not yet passed, so let's say 16 hours has only passed, a person heated water in it, it's counted as if you've again cooked the ESOR. So again, this is something we looked at last week, but just to reiterate, if you have a pot that you usually use for chicken soup and you were making some kind of chicken soup and by accident a drop of whole milk got into that chicken soup because on the other side of the kitchen you were filling a bottle or something like that, then that, um, actually, it would have to be more than a drop because a drop would be batel um, bashishin. But let's say an entire bottle of milk ended up pouring into it. Now you've absorbed meat and milk together. And so even if you koshered it and you let it sit aside, if you didn't let it sit aside, For more than 24 hours, it's as if when you put neutral water back into it, it's as if you've cooked again meat and milk together, even though the substance inside that pot is just water. Everyone with me so far on that? Okay.
2: Yeah, excuse me, Rebecca, what's an esur, please? So you probably have already done this in the past, and I apologize. Oh, that's
1: okay. Esour is just something that is a asur, that is forbidden. So treif would be another word. I can change that here. So treif would be another word or something that you're not supposed to be eating. So it doesn't have to be like bacon, which is how we would you know, defined traits, uh, but it could be something that you're just not supposed to eat. So whether it's meat and milk together, or just a kind of meat that's not kosher, etc. So we count 24 hours from the time the water was heated. So If you make this mistake and you do boil water in it, then from that point forward, we count the 24 hours. You can't start counting the 24 hours from when you made the mistake. Now, if you've made kind of a double mistake, you have to count the 24 hours from then. This is not the case with other eastering. So this is not the case with other things that you might do wrong here. Just to just to drive Barbara crazy, eastering is being used in a different context. So here it's being used in the context of something else that might be uh, that that might not be permitted, right? So we're not necessarily talking about Easter of of um, of food, but just like other types of eastering. It is also the case. That if it's not basar vechalav, right? If it's not meat and milk together, that's a very different kind of isur than if it's basar vechalav together, because that's you know the the original mitzvah from the Torah. We good so far? Any questions on this? I know we went over it last week. But I just wanted to make sure it was clear. Okay. I just want to see what these chats are. Oh, sorry, Rachel. Hope you feel better. Refu Okay. Um. Okay. So a bit of an esor, a bit of something that is not um, that that is not considered to be uh edible in a kosher way, absorbed in a vessel that isn't normally used for a bit of hater, they're using all these words. Sorry, permissible, right? So a bit of something that's permitted in order to impart this taste to the permitted thing in order that they use it for a large kettle or barrel and so forth. Okay, so this is a very long run-on sentence. Let me try to let me try to break it down. So, a little bit of something that you cannot eat that's then absorbed into a vessel that you don't normally use. That like that uh, that sits in your drawer, you use it once in a blue moon. Um In order for the, in order for the e-store, right, in order for the thing that isn't permitted to then go into the thing that is permitted, um, you, you can use it from the outset, right? So if you don't use it for a long enough period of time is basically what this is saying. It's as if that thing that is not allowed to be used or not allowed to be eaten is gone. Right. So I gave a long time ago, I gave an example of the china that I received from a family friend. And Rabbi Alexander said, oh, no, you can totally use that china no matter what food had been on it, because it's been sitting in her cabinet for 25 years. Right. So there is no there's no way that anything, even if it's porcelain, even if it's ceramic, there is no way that it's continuing to. Um, to how it says here, impart the taste, right? It's, it's no longer giving off the taste of anything that could be treif or not, or not supposed to be eaten. Yeah, Mike.
3: Doesn't that presume that the that the uh, taste that is absorbed was not done through heat? If it was done through heat, wouldn't that mean that it'd have to be koshered if it could be or disposed of? I can understand uh, with a plate, but let's say it's a vessel that you cook in. Yeah, if you put something in it, if you put bacon in the pan but don't heat it up, then that's this case. But if you were to heat it, I can't imagine that that they would say that it's permissible to use it without koshering it first.
1: Um it's an interesting it's an interesting question because in a few themes, we're actually going to get to things that are cold, so I wonder if here it's not making that distinction, though you're right that that we would our most stringent opinion would be that it would be Harder to deal with a um, with a vessel that was utilized with heat in this kind of situation than one that like the plates that I was referring to earlier were used um, potentially with heat food on hot foods hot right? <laughs> food on them but not necessarily cooked in an oven um, on those particular vessels. It's a very interesting it's a very interesting question. You know when they use the word kadeira, it's often talking about like a, like a pot that you would use on a stove. So my assumption is that they are talking about heat here. Um,
3: Boy, I find that hard to believe that that if the assumption is that, that the the sore material has actually been absorbed, then that yeah. means that heat was applied. And I would think that – I find it hard to believe that, that there's a circumstance where you can continue to use it without koshering it.
1: So I do think that it's implying that you do kosher it. Um, I'm just reading in the Hebrew to see if I can pick up anything that's not in the English. Um, uh, it's also possible that this is the case, but we don't hold by it, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, Bob, go ahead while I'm still reading in here to get to Mike's question.
4: Well, is maybe the key large kettle as opposed to the next sentence, but if it's a vessel, the vessel that's used for small quantity, then it's forbidden to use it. In other words, it's, it's clearly, large cattle clearly is something yeah, you yeah. cook in. A large barrel you know, doesn't strike me as something you cook in. That's right. a storage vessel. But then the next sentence has to do with small versus large. Mm-hmm. So, now, what it defines as small and large, clearly that's not, at least in English.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm looking at the, you know, the thing with some of this, that it repeats the same word over and over again, so it's hard to understand. So give me a second. Yeah, so this seems to be saying, up until here, even a little bit of Esor that was swallowed by the vessel... According to the way that it's used, oh no that our you so much in a way that it's not typically used. So interesting. this could go back to what Mike is asking. like if you were to use a pot that typically is used for hopping or using it with cold because that's not normally how you use it, or a kettle that you normally would use over heat, but now you're using over cold, which is the way that you wouldn't use it. But it seems to be saying that even if you use it in the way that you're that you're supposed to, it's still permitted to use it from the outset. Um, I had, you confused me, Mike. I hadn't thought about this until you asked the question. Um, let me just see if the actual Shulchan Aruch here has something specific on it like any commentaries on it. It just tells me another place to look. Um okay so let me let me get back to this mike It's a great question. It's not how I read it originally so I hadn't looked up this question um since it's not how I understood it but it's a really great point and uh and let me see what I can find on it. It's basically all of the I'm looking in the original right now and basically all of the places that I'm finding this particular halafa is saying look in a different place look in a different place so I'll look in the different places and like <laughs> let you know what I find yeah bonnie go ahead so you said that this is something that hadn't been used like your china
5: so is there a certain length of time that it has
1: to so be not used yeah so basically anything longer than 24 hours is considered for for most types of vessels is considered n- not um not parf, right? A meat pot doesn't go back to being parf, but as if it's not being used and therefore had it been contracted with some other kind of food item, especially when we're talking about no ten tam leaf gum, right? A taste that was not wanted or like food that how got caked on there, it's as if it's no longer there. So so the, the idea of benyomo, which we see right here, this idea of it sitting for longer than 24 hours helps nullify A the taste and B the mistake that was potentially made. Now, if you let something sit for 25 years, it just gets longer and longer and longer, and therefore more of that goes away. with glass, I I talked about this a long, long time ago, with glass plates, if you didn't want to have multiple sets of plates, you could just have glass and just not use them within, you know, 24-hour shifts of one another. So you could have a plate that you use for chicken one night and then a grilled cheese the next night, but it would have to be 24 hours.
5: But but does that mean that if you had some pot's Let's let's say you didn't keep kosher and you had pots from that time. Yeah. Is that for a year or two? Does
1: that mean you could use them? So you probably, you probably couldn't based on what they're made out of, but if they were made out of metal, which, you know, I I would assume back in the day, it was not stainless steel like it is, like it is today, though probably were made out of different kinds of heavier metals. um, The, the idea of using that pot within twenty-four hours would be it would be easier for the taste to, to be contracted because of the type of material. So your question is basically one of these questions that it's that it, it just matters what it's made out of, and then you would answer the question. But um, it's possible is the answer. It just depends on how the pot is being used and what it's um what it's made out of yeah norm and then marlise
4: certainly some old pots were were heavy i mean cast iron for example yeah, yeah. but i've also seen many pots um particularly older ones that are really of a very thin kind of aluminum or something yeah. um, base metal so you know very thin relatively flimsy um not well-balanced pots and Mm -hmm. that that people use, particularly people aren't super well to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know that you could rely on it as having been heavy. If they're old.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that they were probably made heavier back in the day than they are. I mean, we have cast iron still today, but the, but I, yes, I think I'm agreeing with you. I just, the, I don't, I've said this many times, I don't know enough about the way in which vessels were made back in the day to say our pots, like those pots, you know, would do the same thing. I can only speak to the pots that we use today and what, what they're made of and how we wash them. But my guess is that to, to answer Bonnie's question based on your answer, Norm, is that the, the this would only apply to certain kinds of pots based on their make and not necessarily like all pots ever because of the way in which they're used. Does that make sense? Okay. Marlise. Um,
5: yeah, I was just wondering, you mentioned stainless steel, and that's something that cannot be koshered? So that- oh, it can. It can. Oh, it
1: can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stainless steel can be koshered. Uh, mo- most any metal can be koshered. St- um, Cast iron, which I, I know is not the same as stainless steel, but cast iron is the one thing that people have a lot of question about in terms of um, because of the fact that most often it's seasoned and it has like a, a sealant on it of sorts. Um, but but pots, unless they have some kind of ceramic insert, um, it can be very easily koshered.
5: Mm. So um, like enameled cast iron would not be?
1: So yes, but most likely the answer would be yes. It's hard for me to say yes without seeing it or knowing. But most cast iron and any I shouldn't say anything. Most things enamelled or cast iron cannot be kosher because they're porous materials. Okay. So which is why many people who are big cast iron. um, don't wash them, but season them so that so they don't, you know, get the taste of the soap and whatnot into the cast right. iron. So if if you're worried about something taking in a taste like that, then also you wouldn't be able to kosher it because just like the idea of kevalo kach it wouldn't be able to get out. <laughs> if it can take it in, it wouldn't be able to actually get it, get itself out. Right. Okay, thanks. Um, okay, so let's let's keep going with this Saif here, just, just so we can get to the end of it and hopefully we can answer Mike's um Mike's very uh baffling question. So it says here, Avalimhu She excuse me, bo, Muat kmo ke'ara, which is like a big cauldron. I what does it call it here in in English? That says bowl. Okay. Uh, so if it's a vessel that you use for a very small quantity, such as a, a bowl, though a KRI is, is actually typically thought of as a, bigger. But, for, okay, for all intents and purposes, a KRI is like a, a bowl, like a mixing bowl, um, and anything like it. V'keyot just means like anything in that category it's forbidden to use it um, since we don't nullify, we don't um, cancel out, right? Mevatel is to cancel something out or, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it there. So something that is not not permitted to be eaten from the outset. isor isor habloa. So even something that was a little bit of isor, right? Just a little bit of whatever that thing was, or something that was taken in as an isor based on the material that that it went into, etc. So this makes me think that we are talking about heat, um, which again, going back to Mike's question is really hard to believe because you would imagine that something that is porous, that takes something in that is not kosher, you would not be able to then use without koshering, and it could be implied, and maybe that's what these are going to tell me, it could be implied that you are supposed to kosher it, or like the plates that I've had for, you know, that came to me from a million beforehand even though they're not being used to cook it's possible because they are porous items they've been sitting for long enough that's as if they don't they've anything they've contracted is now um tom leaf gum is a a nasty taste and so it wouldn't be considered something that's affecting that which is put on those plates any longer let's keep reading because it's possible that that more of this will be um uh, uh, answered in the next pieces here. But keep that question, Mike, because though I think I might have answered it, I, I agree with you that it's interesting. Um, okay, I can't look at the Hebrew and the English at the same time on this one, but we're on we're on number six, we're on Vav. So if people are interested in looking at the Hebrew, um, A, it's on safari and B, I can scroll up in a second. So vessels belonging to an idol worshiper fall under the legal presumption that they are not... Bene yoman, meaning that they have not been sitting around for 24 hours. Therefore, if one transgressed and used them prior to making them suitable, the cooked substance is permitted. So therefore, if you if you didn't toyble them, right, we're getting back to this idea of toybling for a second. If you didn't toyble them and you cooked in them, it's totally fine because we assume that they've been sitting around for longer than 24 hours. And so to go back to the other seif, you know, we we it's not great, but to go to this question of are you supposed to kosher them or not, this allows us to imagine a world in which even if you didn't kosher because they've been sitting for long enough or at least longer than 24 hours, it's as if the taste that came into them is now pagum, is now disgusting. And it does not matter and you're able to use the pot itself. Now, I I know that some of you are thinking, is this the ideal situation? No, definitely not the ideal situation. You shouldn't try to make treif or try to mix the meat and milk and think to yourself, oh I'll just put it on the shelf for 36 hours and I'll be totally fine. That you shouldn't try to do those things, but I do think similar to a lot of the halakha that we are the you know we're learning together, I do think that some of this shows us but there are leniencies, right? There are, or I shouldn't even say leniencies. There are rules that open us up to be able to experience a world of uh, mistakes, right? A world of not being perfect in this practice and yet still keeping kosher, right? Yosef Karo is basically saying to us, if you make this mistake, it's totally fine because you can assume that this hadn't been used in the past 24 hours. So even though, and, and Mike's totally right, even though we might not be comfortable with that, right, there is this, this element of, okay, well, even if it happens, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay because of the situation of how long it's at or where it potentially comes from, et cetera, et cetera. We're gonna get to the Ramah in a second, which is the Ashkenazi opinion, but any questions on this little piece here? Oh hi, Cora. I hadn't seen your face before. <laughs> Any other thoughts, questions, comments? Okay, so let's keep going. So the Ramaz, the Rabbi Moshe Israelis, is the Ashkenazi opinion, and he says if if someone warms water in a vessel that had belonged to an idol worshipper with which to knead dough, it's forbidden to knead with that water since it's since it's It keeps saying this phrase in English, which is. Um, means from the beginning, but it's t- it's talking about like from the outset, right? I should have changed that. Sorry, I didn't. Since the individual has not yet begun to gain benefit from it because he did not warm it to drink it. Okay, so let me just break this down here. So if you have a vessel of water, right, you're going to use it to maybe start the yeast or something in making in making your bread and you put that water in a pot that you bought from someone who was not Jewish and who you believe potentially used it for other spiritual needs, you cannot use that pot or you cannot use that which you were going to make bread out of from that pot, right? That pot is now No longer good to you. Um, or I should, I shouldn't say the pot is no longer good to you. The, the, the the stuff that went into the pot is no longer good to you because you, you haven't, you haven't been, um, you haven't yet used that water for something. So it's as if the dough itself is being used as the first thing and that's the problem. So, uh, how do I, this is a really silly, silly one, but the, um, I'm trying to think of an example that's better than this because this isn't how we make bread these days. Um, the reason that this is a big issue in the Shulchan Aruch is because bread is a big issue. So I'm trying to think of something that would be, uh, better for the 21st century, uh, that would give you a better example. Mm, okay. Tybal, you have one. <laughs> or, or I'll talk- um, I don't know a complicated yogurt making? Oh, very that sounds even more complicated to me than bread. Um maybe 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 I let okay, well let's let's see what this let me see if this next piece makes it more clear because I can see your eyes glazing over. So if it, if this next piece doesn't make it more clear, I'll try to, Oh, yeah, Mike.
3: Well, if you're looking for something that's similar but doesn't have the bread issue, what about uh, what about a cake?
1: Yeah, but still, what would be the ingredient? That maybe, it's would...
3: a, maybe it's a cake, a, a risen cake, you know, that has yeast in it, but it's not a bread. You wouldn't make mozi on it.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm just trying to think of what the what the equivalent would be to the water. Um. Okay, well, let, let's see if we... What if you use juice? Yeah, but to make what? Bake stuff. I mean,
5: I use juice a lot of times instead of water when I bake cakes.
1: But you heat... Oh. Well, okay, let's let's go to the second let's go to the second. I'm just trying to make it relevant to the twenty-first century, but I might not be able to. So let's let's maybe let's try to understand it inside and then I'll try to give an example. But something that was made for that purpose and not for the sake of something else, even though it belongs to an idol worshiper and a Jew can purchase it from them. The from lechatchila from the outset it's permitted because it was made by the idol worshiper and therefore it's uh, bediavad it's after the fact. So if if the vessel that you are using was made for the purpose of making bread, so I guess this does make it a little bit clearer. If you're not using a pot that wasn't you like that wasn't created for the use of making bread, but was created for I don't know soup right or something. So that you use a pot for? Then that's a different that's a different scenario because even though it belonged to someone who could have used it for spiritual practices that we don't we don't ascribe to and we don't believe that that vessel should be quote prayed over um it's it was it was made for that particular purpose and therefore you're using it for the correct purpose um not the, okay let's keep going I, I think it's going to become more clear though. I feel like I'm losing you all. Nonetheless, it is forbidden to say, <laughs> and you all keep laughing every time I say that, so I know I'm right. Nonetheless, it is forbidden to say to an idol worshiper, cook veg- vegetables for me in your vessel, and similarly, one also cannot say to him, make me a, a brew, meaning like a stew or something. For anyone who cook, who says, cook for me, he is like one who actually cooked with his own hands, and it is possible that if it was made, <laughs> I love this, by druggists, right? Made by people who are, um, who are using it for some kind of, um um what's the word i'm looking for not spiritual practice but some kind of um uh voodoo uh potion no, voodoo potion. potion who said potion Yes. Good job, Jeff. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Great. It is permitted because all special... food was a funny word, though. Uh, because all specialized craftsmen set aside clean dishes for their work so that their craft won't be damaged. But a pious individual will be careful, for these things bring one to purity and to cleanliness. Okay, that last sentence is a lovely drosh. I'm not sure that that's very helpful. Um, okay, so this actually gets to an issue... That has nothing to do with the dough above um, in the in the beginning of the Ramah here, but it gets to an issue that we actually deal with a lot in terms of often the opposite in terms of us wanting something to be done and using a non-Jew to do it for us. This specifically comes up on Shabbat. Um, that's not what they're talking about here. But for example, the only way that we can have coffee on Shabbat at Temple Am is imagining that the non-Jew who is making the coffee for us on Shabbat also wants the coffee. Now, does Orlando want the 40 cups of coffee that he's making for Temple Am? Absolutely not. Does he that Orlando is making the coffee for himself? and making extras for the rest of us. It just told me that my internet is unstable. Can you all still hear me? Okay. So um, let me move my phone. Maybe that'll be helpful.
5: We lost you for a couple minutes. Yeah. You froze for a little bit, Rabbi, but then you came back.
1: Oh, awesome. What was I talking about when I froze? Orlando's coffee.
5: I think that what you're saying is that the way it works is if Orlando agrees to make some for himself, he's allowed to make extra Is that where you're going? But if he says it's all for the congregation, then it's not allowed. Is
1: that what you were saying? Maybe. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. I mean, what I, what I said when I guess I cut off was that Orlando, by the way, Orlando is not the one who makes the coffee, but I love that we're using him as an example. Orlando makes the coffee with the intention, with our intention that he is making for himself and extras for us. You are correct, Tybal, in saying that if he was just making coffee for Temple Betham, that wouldn't be okay, but it is okay for him to make coffee for himself and extras for us. So it's okay for us to get more than he is getting. Um, so that's just a little bit of a caveat to what you mentioned, but that, that is exactly how it works. That That is what's coming up here in this second part of the Ramaz comment, that I cannot say to somebody who uses this vessel in some kind of idol worship, can you please, because it's your vessel, cook vegetables for me? Because then it's as if I cook vegetables in that vessel and that wouldn't be allowed because that vessel needs to be toibled before I can use it. It's not a vessel yet ready for me to eat something that I would consider to be kosher. So I think what it's getting at in terms of the dough, if I can just go back to that one for one second, and then normal column, is that if the vessel itself was supposed to be used for making dough, it would be one thing to use it in that way. It's another thing to use like a pot that was supposed to be made for something, supposed to be used, excuse me, for something else and therefore make dough in it because that somehow makes it seem as though you are not using the correct vessel for the correct thing. Um, and it takes it to a whole different category of misuse. Again, this is – I'm – we're when I said we're getting into the weeds, we're like really getting into the weeds, especially because in twenty twenty two we're so not worried about this stuff <laughs> that it it's like hard to comprehend what an example would be, which is why I was having a hard time coming up with a a non dough example here, um because we just don't buy vessels like this any longer that that we need to kind of figure out how to. How to utilize them, and if you're worried about utilizing a vessel in the correct way, you you probably toyble it anyway, so you, you don't you're not dealing with this situation. Okay, Norm, and then Barbara, and then Renee.
4: I actually have two questions, but the principal yeah. one is: is this analogous to the fact I have, we have a friend mm-hmm. who, um, planning to have a large group of people for this for dinner on the second day of Yontif. Um, in mid-afternoon, we'll turn to somebody who's visiting and say, gee, I'm really in the mood to have a little bit of and proceed to make a huge pot of tzimis, um, and then has, you know, a little cupful, um, and uh, the rest is set aside, it's going to be used for dinner that night. So she's able to say she's cooking on yontif for that same yontif, even though really she's primarily cooking for
1: the okay. subsequent yontif. Yeah. Is this the
4: same issue, basically?
1: It's not the same issue, but it's the same principle, if that makes sense. That's Meaning that, you that's. that's how you cook on Yantif, and and um and it's a complete legal fallacy, <laughs> right? Like we none of us cook that way, and yet that's how you're supposed to cook for Yantif. Yeah.
4: Well, I know people who do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing is um if I, I know from people who keep kosher, who will go into a restaurant and order coffee or tea. Yeah. And the tea, I can, I mean, they're eating it off of a cup that may have been used for for trafe soup or whatever, but mm-hmm. obviously has been cleaned. And I mean, how does this all work?
1: So. It's a great question, and it's possible that it's a similar principle to the one that we just talked about with the dough, actually. I'm not sure that they would be considered the same, but in terms of using a vessel for what it's used for, you don't have to assume that that cup was used for soup. It's only being used for coffee, in which case someone who's from – I've so my friend, Rabbi Josh Pernick – He'd probably kill me for telling you this story, but it's okay. Um, he will go to any cafe and drink black coffee. He he might, have, if he's going to drink coffee with milk in it, he might ask questions about the milk. I don't actually know. But he will drink black coffee in a cup, even if that place serves food, because he's not assuming that the cup is being used for anything but the coffee. So. If we were to be in a home or if you were to be in a place where you've seen them serve soup in those cups that they're also using for coffee, then you might have a question about it or um, or decide not to drink anything hot. But I do think that you might have just come up with a really good example for this dough example in that if you don't think that it's what that vessel was once used for, then you can use it for that. If you do think it's the vessel that would be used for such a thing, then it's not permitted to you.
4: Even though when it's dirty, they're going to put that cup in the same sink with water with bona fide trace.
1: So that gets into a whole other conversation about dishwashers and cleaning, et cetera, et cetera. But as soon as something touches soap, it's as if it's pagum. It's as if it's gross. So now, yes, sure. Was it was it used with dairy in it or was it used with meat in it? Maybe. Um, but that thing that was in it is now, is now considered gross and therefore it's not going to contract to anything else. That, so dishwashers are, are complicated because of the, the, um, filter, right? The drain, the filter, but, Sinks are not as complicated because you everything is going down the drain and you're not eating out of a sink. That's why some people choose to have one sink, but multiple dishwashers. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's, that's why people will do that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Barbara, though I can only see the top of your head.
2: I, I know I'm on a couch and that's up there. It (laughs) seems to me. But yeah. these laws, which Joseph Carl made, were what, the 1600s? <clears throat> yeah, we did 1600s. And it seems to me like those were laws for then. Oh, yeah. Not really for now. I, I almost think that we're a little more kosher now than he was. Totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we don't take a vessel and use it the next day. My God, there's none of us that are taking a meat vessel and cooking milk in it the next day. Totally. No matter what. You're 100% correct. These are outdated laws. I mean, it's crazy, but they're totally
1: they don't apply to us. I've really missed you, Barbara. So they're, they're not, um, (laughs) they're not, you're welcome. They're not necessarily outdated, but the part of the reason that I love halakha is the fact that you're completely correct in that Yosef Caro and his, you know, compatriots were, were studying and observing a very different type of kashrut, probably because of resources and because of access and all those kinds of things. And
2: how are they going to trape when they trape from one place to the next? How are they going to drink drag milk and
1: meat and four sets of of dishes right and, Right, know. exactly so that's that's again that's like resources and and availability and all those kinds of things, and you're right that today we are taking these laws, and that's why some of these are because they're so specific it's hard for me to like relate them to all of you. They might make sense, but there's no way to really conceptualize them in twenty twenty two the, the way in which we take these laws is we make stringency so that we don't make mistakes. But ultimately, many of the laws that we're reading, uh, the basics of these laws, if we held by, you know, banyomo, right, we could have a plate that we use tonight that we also use tomorrow for meat or milk. We just would have to be careful. And we, we have become, whether it's a lazy people or a more, um, a more efficient and resourceful people, that we don't do that. We now have separate everything so that we, A, don't make those mistakes and B, we don't have to, um, have that much focus on those things.
2: Right. And that's why Mike is thinking between milk, I mean, between hot and cold. Right. And that's the way we think now. But they maybe didn't think that way back
1: then. Well, they did think that way in terms, Oh man, went away. Okay, that was a sneeze. A, yeah, I got a sneeze, but then I killed it. Um, <laughs> Robert Klingfeld and I—if you ever want, <laughs> if you ever want to make Robert Klingfeld laugh, he is convinced that since I started working at Temple Beth Am, he's never been able to sneeze around me because whenever he goes to sneeze, I look at him and then it goes away. So if you, <laughs> if you ever want to make him laugh, you can tell him that I've stolen his sneeze. Um, so. Yeah, I think that they still were worried about hot and cold back then because transfer isn't any different, right? We we still are worried about the transfer of certain elements in certain kinds of vessels. And so hot transfers, cold does not. And that's how it's been back in the day too. So Mike's point is definitely correct, but I do think that they were, they were concerned about it. It's just a matter of were they, A, as concerned, and B, were they concerned in the same way? Kind of ways that we are concerned, um, or was it different based on the vessel, based on the timing, etc.? So that's why Mike's question is such a good one because um, it's very it's very specific to a very general principle. Okay, Renee, and then Joanna, and maybe I'll sneeze at some point.
5: Look into the light. Yeah, well, it'll help you sneeze. Um, Two questions also. One, if if someone were to use, let's say the 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 clea that's used for latya dime, yeah I mean I, not that we nis, not that we cook in it, but if someone were to use that thing for latya dime to cook with, would that be uh not permissible because it its initial intention its original intention was for latya dime
1: no, because uh ostensibly you're not using like if you put like if someone didn't know and they put soup in your neti latya dime cup it, it would that that's fine i mean it's not it's now made your neti latya dime cup meat or milk <laughs> um but that shouldn't really so then, matter if you continue if you continue using it only for your hands
5: also yeah. what if people what if somebody is very poor and they can't afford to have you know maybe they can only have one pot all together you know maybe right. only one plate so then what And maybe it's not glass, then what allowances are made as far as kosher for that person?
1: Yeah. So I would say, similar to my ceramic plates, which cannot be koshered, I would say that the longer you can wait in between use, the better, right? So if someone was so poor that they only had one plate, what I would say is to only eat dairy one day and then the next day not start eating meat until dinner and then eat meat for another whole day and then do the same kind of cycle, right? Such that your plate is being – is rotating, I guess, through those things without um, without any kind of use in between, right? The, the keeping to the not use of 24 hours is possible. Um,
3: if they were that poor, they wouldn't be eating meat, period.
1: Right. I was just going to say that, it, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with someone who is um, – you know who who is who is that poor? I think that you're also dealing with just decisions around food in general, um, right? We we often hear stories about like the Holocaust when people that they could either eat pig or not eat. Like you eat pig, right? Are, that's what that's our what our Torah says, right? You you keep yourself alive. Um, so. That obviously has nothing to do with being poor, but it's the similar thing, right? If you are so destitute that you grew up kosher and now you can only afford fast food, well, you eat the protein in fast food, whatever that might be, um, rather than just French fries because they might be the most kosher item. Even So even if it's trafe. Oh, yeah. To keep yourself alive, 100%. I, I'm sure many of you have heard me tell this story. Um, my uncle when he first started his chemotherapy, when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, he, I was in rabbinical school and he told me he lost his appetite and he told me that he was, um, the only thing he was craving was bacon. And I said to him, I was like, eat it. That like every rabbi in the world would tell you to eat it, right? If nothing else appeals to you and you are not getting any kind of sustenance from any other kind of food and you feel like eating bacon because that's what smells and tastes good to you right now, a hundred percent, you should do it. He never did it. And he, he, you know, ate other foods, et cetera. But the, for sure, someone would tell you to eat trafe before they tell you to eat nothing. Um So again, it's, it's a little bit of a, it's one of those questions that when you ask it, it's a little bit hard to answer because it would be very situational in terms of the person and in terms of what they're dealing with. But the answer is yes. You would you would make sure that the person could eat no matter what and not worry about the kashrut.
0: Uh, Joanna, when Barbara started talking, and then there's been some a couple of other comments that also have touched on this in one way or another about trying to contextualize, you know. Um, Rabbi Karo's time and the time and the place where all of this was come up with. um, And also, you know, this discussion around resources um, and what people had available to them. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden this discussion has become much more fascinating to me than it otherwise would have been because this whole concept of like what you intend to do at the outset versus What might happen in actual reality by accident? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, so when those mistakes happen, right? Like, if there was no recourse, in essence, what you're telling a person is like, you have to abandon ship and stop keeping kosher. Mm -hmm. And so, this whole concept that there is a recourse, there is a way to come back to it, there is you know, there is a way to get back on course and get back on track, especially in a time where we can assume people had much more limited resources, I think is an incredibly positive message about Kashrut in particular, and Judaism in general.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I very much agree. And again, it's part of the reason that I love this topic, because even though we from the outset might imagine that it would be very, restrictive in many ways. It's actually very eye-opening in the ways in which we are are inclusive of those things that we know are important and the things that we should take into consideration. But the, the loopholes that we have to make sure that this isn't the end-all be-all, right? That there are ways in which we can be flexible and we can make sure that this is intentional and important, but not again, the end all be all, right? It's, it's not everything that matters to how we are eating and how we are um, creating our kitchens. The one thing I'll say, the, the last thing I'll say, and then we can do one more safe, I think, though I'll look to see how long the next one is. Um, the, when I talk to uh, students who are converting to Judaism about kashrut, I always say, before you, before we have a conversation about what you can and cannot eat, just remember that kosher is all about intentionality. Right? From the minute that you put food in your mouth to the second that you buy plates and cutlery, it's all about intentionality. It's not about what you can't eat, it's about why you can't eat it or how you're separating yourself from eating something. It's not it's not supposed to be a punishment it's supposed to be a mindfulness it's supposed to be a way in which you when you look at a menu you recognize the things that you can eat or you cannot eat or one step beyond that there are certain restaurants that you might go to or not go to based on based on their halachic standards of kashrut so i think that what the dra- the beautiful drash that you just gave joanna that you know speaks so so beautifully to, to kind of the meaning of kashrut is exactly that, right? The intentionality around it, how we engage with it as a practice and not just stipulations and laws and rules. But, you know, we say blessings over our food. There's a reason, there's a reason for that. Um, so yeah. Okay. Um, let me see if this next say is sure enough to do, ah, it's one line. We might even be able to do this two of them before we go. Okay. All right. So. Okay. Um, okay. So just like we think of just Stam Kalim, like regular Kalim that belonged to Obdei chavim, those who believe in the stars, right, those who are idol worshippers, are not Bene Yoman. Um they haven't been used within the past 24 hours. Kastam kelim Shelanu, <laughs> she'enan b'nei Yoman. So to our own vessels. What right we we presume that that they have uh, not been used within within 24 hours. So this actually goes more so to how we imagine our kitchens than the way that we're imagining these kitchens of of your um that we have many different plates. And so we imagine that a plate that we might pull off of the shelf today isn't going to be used for another two, three, four, maybe a week because we have other plates that that we can use. So just like we would assume that of someone who isn't Jewish, we should also assume that of someone who is Jewish. So when we're talking about a vessel that might be meat or might be dairy, we should also assume it hasn't been used within 24 hours because that would be a lot of cooking on the same things or eating on the same things, which we don't, which we don't assume in anybody's, uh, kitchen. I guess even back in this day, we didn't assume based on the way kitchens were set up. Uh, Bevliat Isur. So a vessel that, um, has absorbed some kind of prohibited food, and has become mixed with other things, uh, it's not, it's not, um, seen to be nullified or cancelled out in the majority. So that, when we were talking about one sixtieth, you can't, you can't do that here, right? You can't assume that for this kind of mixture. So, let me try to give this in more basic terms. A vessel that you, by accident, either mixed meat and milk in or somehow some trache got into it. And then it's been mixed with other things, right? It it somehow either you was um, a mixture to begin with or you you uh, had a little bit of trache in it and then you forgot to kosher it and now you've used it again with something. So it's become kind of mishmashed with with other experiences, with other types of foods that have been made, you cannot say, oh, well, that was only a little bit and now more than a 60th, though it's not giving us that measurement here, but the, the majority now has not taken over it because you've now used it twice. You should have koshered it in between. So there's no there's no um, nullification of majority because it shouldn't have been used to begin with. Yeah, Mike.
3: I was reading that uh, totally differently in the English and I may be completely off base, but yeah. it's not, I thought it was not talking about a combination of ingredients that caused it to be a uh, sore, but rather uh-huh. that it's we're given that it's sore and now we've mixed that, that utensil or plate with others of like kind and can't tell which one is the one that was, that was trafe And we're, and it's saying that we're not allowed to say that since it's only a minority of the total number of plates, let's say that it's okay to use it.
1: Oh, interesting. It's, it is a different read and with the same outcome, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely possible that you, that you, um, that you mix it in so much so that you don't, you can't tell the difference between whether or not it's, Trafe or not trafe, or if you use that that spoon for the right thing or the wrong thing um, but we still shouldn't assume that because of a majority, it's now okay. Is that what you're saying uh,
3: I'm not sure that's quite what i meant okay. let's say let's say you have ten plates, one of them uh and let's just assume for now that they could be koshered. okay and 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 so one of them becomes trafe, yeah, you mix it in yeah with the other nine plates. Right. And now you want to use all the plates and and you cannot argue that that it's only a minority and therefore you can use them all. You must either get rid of the bad one or kosher. Correct. If you're not sure.
1: Correct. Correct. So if we're talking about vessels and not about food, that's a great example. Right. I think I used an example of hot dogs that Rabbi Alexander gave us a while ago. Right. That if you have. 600 hot dogs and a batch of unkosher hot dogs got mixed in that would be less than you know the less than the majority can you still eat all the hot dogs not knowing which one is going to be kosher no you have to assume that they're all trafe. so that's the same that's the same thing that that mike is saying that if you have a bunch of we'll use his language a bunch of plates one of them, you know, you didn't kosher after an experience where you should have koshered it. You can't assume that, oh, well, it's okay. I'm not going to know which one it was. And I'll use the rest of the plates as if that was, you know, it's now, quote, nullified. No, you have to kosher then all of the plates <laughs> because you need to make sure that they're all fit for use. So kosher your plate. Don't <laughs> don't skip out on that step. Um, but that's a great example for vessels. I, I was reading it as if we're talking about food here, but um but th- that the that the ESOR is the food that made the vessel unusable, but it's possible that we're talking about the vessel itself then becoming an ESOR. That's a that's a very um very compelling read. So you might you might be totally correct. And we have the same outcome, which is you either can't eat the food or you can't use the plate unless you kosher it. So they're they're both prohibited to you. Um, let me see what this chat is. And then, um, oh, Josh, okay, we'll, we'll read this last thing from Josh Molina because he's the son of a congregant and uh, we'll give him that schut. Okay, Josh Molina was once asked in an interview why he keeps kosher. I loved his response and transcribed and saved it. It reminds me who I am three times a day, which is to say a Jew. It is something I have done all my life good job, Bamalina. It is one of my prime identifiers. It also, to a certain extent, makes the act of eating, which is an integral part of every day, holy. Yep. It makes me more thankful for food in general, just being mindful. It is a great experiment in mindfulness. Yeah, I 100% agree with that statement. And I think that's exactly what kashrut was for, is for. Um, It's how all of these rules of kashrut also come to being in terms of why we keep them and what that separation is all about. So um, a beautiful co- quote to end on. Next week will be a surprise. I, I'm i going to look to see what comes next in here. If we're staying in the weeds and all these kinds of um uh, examples, I might move us on to another topic if that's okay with everybody. Uh, oh, you're all nodding. Okay. Um, (laughs) so we'll move on to a different topic. Um, but what I might have us do is skip to a different topic completely and then go back to Kashrut closer to Passover, um, and have us kind of do a little bit of a refresher closer to Passover. So I'll keep you posted. We will have class. Oh, we won't have class. Um, Next week we won't have class because I have a board meeting. So once a month I'm not going to be able to have class because of board meetings. So we won't have class next week, but we will the week after, um, and uh, and I will make sure that that goes out and that you can remember.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for Conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site. Or wherever you get your podcasts. For
1: more information about Temple Beth Los Angeles, go to
5: tbala.org.